not one part of the strategy gone Development, it's all we envelop in telephone A wealth of intelligence Unless you're selfishly embellishing all of the championships Basking it in, let's study in The conferences, Pac-12 and Big 12 and the 10 SEC, ACC, win, 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 win I'd like to welcome everybody to Debbie's Owner's Manual Episode 6. We're here to review and cover all the madness leading up to the college playoffs. We have all been waiting for, and we finally have players declaring. But before we get to all of that, let us remind you, you can find us on Twitter at Debbie Manual, and our email is DebbieOwner'sManual at gmail.com. Also, a special thank you to Chris and Adam from Dynasty Owner's Manual for allowing us to be a part of their podcast family. First off, let me introduce my co-host, Andrew. Andrew, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Excited to talk about something other than Baker Mayfield and Hugh Jackson beef. There's been <laughs> too, much, too much talk on sports radio of that. It's really not that big of a deal. I see both sides of it, and we'll get right into our weekend review. And obviously, if you haven't figured it out by now, Ohio State absolutely pummeled Michigan. Andrew, offensively, how what did off the Ohio State offense do that beat that vaunted Michigan defense? They literally pulled out every play, every tool from the shed. I mean, they Haskins dominated. Uh, Mike Weber and Dobbins contributed. Paris Campbell had a big coming out party, showing he could be a playmaker. We said last week that this wasn't even going to be a close game. <laughs> we thought Michigan was just going to steamroll over them and walk into the Big Ten championship game. But I don't know if – State was playing possum or what? Maybe that Cleveland rally possum got to him and taught him a couple things. But coming off a three-overtime game with Maryland and getting waxed by Purdue and Michigan not looking like they had missed a beat all year since week one, I I was thoroughly shocked by it. Haskins really impressed me, and he impressed a lot of people, which we'll get to later. But just a thrashing by Haskins. Or he went for 20 for 31, passing 396 yards and six touchdowns. I really liked how Mike Weber kind of took control of the running game over Dobbins just because Weber's going to be a prospect for this coming draft. Dobbins will be next year, so he's got a share. 13 carries, 96 yards and a touch. And then Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill combined for 10 catches, 243 yards and three touchdowns combined. I mean, they both really helped out Haskins a lot. Right, yeah, we were actually watching it at my family Thanksgiving and I was surrounded by Michigan fans, and I kept trying to get them to shut it off. And they were like, "They're gonna, they're gonna come back, they're gonna come back." And they did not come back. <laughs> Just kept. I mentioned last week that I thought the cornerbacks were gonna be the key for Michigan, and yeah, they were lost. I mean, well, I didn't feel like Haskins was making that great of throws particularly he didn't have to i mean there was just guys open everywhere everywhere he looked it looked kind of like just like like they were playing a division a team you know (laughs) this guy's wandering out in the open and i'm like was playing madden with him it it was pretty ugly and campbell took a lot of the short stuff and was able to turn it into big plays which is his bread and butter so to speak obviously i mean there was a lot of high scoring but at the same time there was a lot of defense basically on one side really Who would you say stuck out the most for you on that side of the ball, Dwight? Right. I really liked to play a tough Moreland, the Ohio State linebacker. It seemed like he was right there. I think he probably had the task of watching Higdon, and he seemed like he was making tackle after tackle or at least diverting the tackles. You know, Draymond Jones was all over the place. He didn't show out on the stat sheet, but his impact there. And Jordan Fuller, the safety, was like everywhere deep, and wasn't allowing Shea Patterson to get anything downfield at all. Uh, Fuller had an interception, eight tackles. But then Michigan, just their defense just looked lost. I mean, it almost looked like they were – they should have had – they should have been prepared for it all year and hyped for it all year. And I definitely heard heard them talking that week, and they just did not back up the talk. And I honestly think that Ohio State almost had nothing to lose, and that made them more dangerous. Yep. Because they just whooped them. Just whooped them. Yeah, no, I was looking at our show sheet, and you literally put Michigan crickets. And I was like, well, how bad could it have been? And I looked, and I was like, nothing. No picks, no sacks, nothing. I mean, it was just Ohio State showcase game. It was incredible. Right, like all too many of them have been in the past few years for Michigan, unfortunately. 
right now. Poor Harbaugh. I even wore my Walmart khakis and everything to work on Friday. <laughs> on that note, well, this is the weekly segment of the show where we talk about how I was wrong on the upset picks and Dwight was again right. So, on that note, Texas A&M upset LSU in probably one of the games of the year in the seven-overtime thriller. There wasn't a lot of defense just because the field position didn't really allow for there to be, but at the same time, was there anyone on the stat sheet that showed up for you? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because you had um that game. I literally shut off with Same. forty se- with forty seconds left. I thought it was over, Same. you know. And then I, I get up the next morning. I was exhausted. I get up the next morning and I see that score. And I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> I don't know if I'll edit that out, but that's really the only thing you can say watching it. And and I, so I ended up watching it. You know, the rest of the game on Sunday. And wow, just so much fun. I mean, I guess if you like that stuff, I'll talk about that later, what I think it is for the overall scheme of college football. But as far as defensive star, Otaro Laka, I mentioned him last week for A&M. He was absolutely everywhere. He only had 11 tackles, but he had two sacks. Uh, A&M had six sacks total. Devin White did everything Devin White could do. 17 tackles, a sack, four tackles for a loss. Obviously, their secondary was exposed. I've never seen LSU get beat that bad off defensively. It was really crazy. And Grant Delpit, you could tell they were playing away from him. He wasn't a factor at all in the stat sheet. And I didn't see him make any plays or anything. I think they were purposely staying away from him, which is a very, very wise decision. And as far as – so he got out of – through the little bit of defense that there was, who were the biggest stars offensively? Was there anybody that really surprised you? I mean, Kellen Mond – quarterback for Texas A&M. I've kind of been up and down on all year. Nothing real as far as Debbie Wise owning him and maybe stashing him anywhere because I don't think he's going to translate very well to the NFL just with the style of playing. His throwing motion is cringeworthy with all due respect. Oh yeah, but, um, Tim Tebow-esque. <laughs> hey now. We don't got enough time. We do this every week, Dwight. We don't have time. <laughs> I got to get my jabs in. We do. I mean, Mond, and with that note, went 23 for 49, 287 yards and six touchdowns. Obviously, a lot of those touchdowns came in the overtime. That's why the yards aren't very high with the touchdowns. He also added 42 yards on the ground and a touch. And then your guy, Travion Williams, continues to bolster his resume. I'm actually working on my running back rankings, and I do have him in my top 10. So he had 35 rushing attempts, 198 yards and two touchdowns. He didn't contribute that much through the passing game this go around but normally he does contribute there as well it's funny i think like you talked about with michigan and ohio state having the whole they didn't really have anything to play for i think the same thing kind of goes for lsu they were kind of stuck at number seven they weren't going to be going to the playoff because they weren't going to be in the sec title game so i could see them looking past it also too i think it speaks to jimbo fisher as well as a florida fan I didn't like Jimbo Fisher when he was at Florida State, but now that he's at Texas A&M, seeing what he's done with pretty much the same roster that Kevin Selman struggled with last year really speaks to how well he's coached there at Texas A&M. Yeah, a name that's been creeping up that, I, that I'd like to mention is Jade Sternberger, the tight end for Texas A&M. I've seen him quietly climb up the ranks, and I think he's probably the third or fourth ranked tight end in the class, I think. And he's, he's uh, everything you'd want out of a tight end catches passes he had two touchdowns in this game and he looks like a pretty impressive tight end we've mentioned it a couple times before i think the tight end class next year is going to be pretty damn good yeah i have sternberger in my top 10 with tight ends as well not to keep giving away my future articles but no i i have i noticed him too that game a lot big body and easy target and all right next game was oklahoma taking out west virginia and setting up a red river rivalry showdown part two Andrew, the big stars in this game were Will Greer and Kyler Murray. So anybody that loved quarterbacks was loving this game. It was definitely centered around those two. Do you think there's any chance in the world that Kyler Murray chooses the NFL? I think if head injuries and ACLs and all those big bad injuries didn't exist in the NFL, I think he might. But he has five million reasons and top five pick in the MLB draft. He wouldn't be that in the NFL draft. I don't know where he wouldn't be in – I haven't looked enough into him to discuss his ranks because I'm just not even watching him because I'm assuming he's going to play baseball. 
I can't remember who it was on Draft Network, wrote a really good article talking about how he dove into him and he thinks baseball is his best route. So I think the NFL agrees with that. I think Kyler Murray, he said this week, he's happy with that as well. So, I mean, like I said, he's one of those, it's going to be fun to watch and look back and be like, oh, hey, he completely torched everyone for a year in college football replacing Baker Mayfield. I agree, unfortunately. I'd like to see him in the NFL. I really like watching him. He's a pretty exciting guy. He's an interesting guy, too. I don't have anything to say on defense on that one. (laughs) Another Another game that really didn't have much. So, What's the name of the linebacker from West Virginia? David Long. He was, long. yeah, he wasn't much of a factor either. Like, I didn't know. Yeah. just strike that. I just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to mention much about defense in that game. Nope, Big 12, you can't. However, and then this was on at the same time because I was flipping back and forth between possessions. Um, Washington, Washington State turned into the snowball. As far as defense for Washington, they kind of, Gardner Minshew got his stats, but at the same time, Washington State as a whole was kind of controlled. Washington definitely looks a lot better than they did at the middle part of the year. They're kind of getting back to those expectations that people had at the beginning of the year. What was a big part of that, Dwight? I think the secondary Washington is just too damn good. I don't think the – Gardner Minshew's a great quarterback, but as he didn't have the greatest weapons there, I think he kind of elevated the weapons in the, the offense that Mike Leach has created for him. Byron Murphy was able to absolutely shut down any wide receiver that he was on. Taylor Rapp and just 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 too much. They were able to take James Williams out of the game. He only had 30 yards on seven catches, 65 rushing yards. I mean, Minshew, like you said, he ended up 26 for 35. Looks good, but it's only 150 yards. Very much a David Carr stat line there, two interceptions. Just, yeah, just not – or Derek Carr, good Lord. A Derek <laughs> Carr stat line. If it was a David Carr stat line, it would have been, yeah, a lot worse than that. So, yeah, just the secondary. Washington's got a lot of pro prospects. And I recently saw somebody, I think it was PFF, has Byron Murphy rated like right at the same level as Greedy Williams, and he might might be a top 10 pick next year. I wanted to see more out of Gardner Minshew. I don't – I still think he's a pretty good pro prospect. I really do. He doesn't have – he didn't have the greatest weapons there in Washington State, and it was going to be a tall task. It would have been a tall task for the best of quarterbacks, honestly. I'm not too down on him for the game at all. The Probably the offensive star of the game, though, was Miles Gaskin, I think, unquestionably. What yep. do you think about him going to the pros? No, I like Gaskin a lot. Um, in our earlier rankings, I had him in my top 10 running backs, and as I was doing my rankings yesterday, he's still there. 27 on Saturday on Friday, he had 27 attempts, 170 yards, three touchdowns. I like his size, 5'10", 194. Getting ready for the combine, he'll probably add another 5'10 pounds roughly. And we'll get an exact size on his height and everything there. And then he did have a slow start to the year. They were mixing in some other running backs, but he's heating up at the right time. I mean, the whole team is really for Washington. So I think that's part of his success too. I wouldn't give any credit to Jake Browning, but I think Gaskins is a big reason with that team finding its success there. All right, next I'd like to see, um, we're going to talk about stock up and stock down for this week. Andrew, is there anybody whose stock rose and anybody that stock dropped for the week for you? I really liked – I mean, I watched more of the West Virginia-Oklahoma game, and Marquise Brown, every time he made a play, they went to his cousin Antonio, which I didn't know was his cousin until they showed him in his very large fluffy jacket on the sideline in Morgantown. But Marquise Brown went the fantastic game, 11 catches, 243 yards, and two touchdowns. A lot of big plays from him. I really like his speed, and I like his route running ability. I think he can overcome his size. Just with that alone, he'll have to gain a little bit of weight. But, I mean, he could be a playmaker at the NFL the way they're switching to the spread offense. And we, we've seen more in the NFL now that size is not as big of a factor as it once yep. was, you know. So, I mean, Which Antonio, is nice. Antonio Brown himself is not the biggest guy in the world. I mean, we could walk up to him on the street and probably not even realize who he was. If- and then another one, big stock up, Dwayne Haskins. I, I think I'm finally – I can't remember who it was that said – Every year, like, we were worried about the quarterback class, and they said towards the end of the year, once the process starts, there's going to be two, three, four names where you're like, oh, this class isn't that bad. But I think Haskins is creeping up into that, at least the Will Greer category. We're going to talk about it a little bit later with Nell Kuyper. Now, Haskins is starting to put it together. Matt Miller had originally put out a couple weeks ago that 
he didn't think he was going to declare according to the sources, but right after his article published, he said he got calls from Ohio State saying, oh yeah, we're pretty sure he's going to declare and this will be his last year. So I think he could see potentially a Mitchell Trubisky rise because he also only played one year. If Haskin goes to the right team, the right situation, the right surrounding cast, I think he'd be okay. Those are who my stock-ups are, Marquise Brown and Dwayne Haskin. Yeah, I really liked Marquise Brown. Hollywood, sorry. Yeah, Hollywood. Hollywood, baby. Yeah, I, I didn't have anybody down really. Like for this week, I didn't notice anything that really caught my eye or anything for stock up will greer looked amazing but you had mentioned him last week gary jennings jr from west virginia the wide receiver looked absolutely amazing like i was i don't know if he's he might be drawing the second cornerback so that might help some i think david sills is going to get that top one that top cornerback in every matchup so i think he might be seeing the bet the second cornerback but i don't think it matters like he really impressed me with it seemed like he was always open and he runs really well after the catch as well um, he's a very nice compliment that sills is the red zone target and jennings is the big play guy for him right right yeah and he'll definitely have a spot in the nfl um ben Kirvin, the linebacker from washington he's one that's rising up my board as well very very impressive he's a little bit small six foot he's six foot 220 which is a little bit smaller usually, but that's still not like a by any means a knock on him anymore. I've seen some linebackers that have succeeded at that size, but he had, is really impressive with his range and his tackling. He seems very intelligent. His instincts are just off the charts. I think he'll be one that, especially with a good combine, he could come into the second, third round conversation. Uh, I was just very impressed with him in that game. And then just another one that is a name that is kind of creeping a little bit is Brett Rippon, quarterback from Boise State. Yes, He's actually the nephew, nephew of former Washington Redskin Mark Rippon, and he's got great size. He, he makes a lot of good throws. Um, we're coming into a, it's a class where the quarterbacks are not as strong. So I think um, I was reading Travis May's take on him earlier today, and he – Thinks he'll be a really good backup, and I, I think he, you know, he's got a spot in the NFL. But he's also one that I think if he gets a spot in the right place to sit behind. Maybe he can make more of it. He's definitely got good size. He's very intelligent. Playing in Boise State, though, so you kind of, you know, he's not seeing the greatest competition out there, but still, he's really impressive. I guess I had mentioned before that I didn't really see anybody down. And this is just more or less the defense down as a whole. They asked Kirk Herbstreet, I think it was, who what he thought of the Texas A&M and LSU game, and he said it was the worst thing he's ever seen. It was an abomination. It's not even football. It's flag football. And it definitely is It's fun to watch, but in a way it is a little alarming <laughs> to watch that much scoring and that easily. And two elite programs, especially with LSU, it's supposed to have an elite defense. Yeah, the defense shouldn't have given up all of that. <sighs> and it, it it was fun, but it was also kind of hard to watch. And in the Ohio State Michigan game that I and the you know the West Virginia Oklahoma game, I'm like, where in the hell is this defense? <laughs> like, are these guys just recruiting offensive guys? Like, but only one of those games was a Big Twelve game. <laughs> yeah, and that's what blows my mind. That, that you'd expect. I mean, A and M's never going to be a defensive school, but LSU is, you know. And yeah, they're still stuck uh, in the Big Twelve ways. Oh man, A and M. So, like, I, I would say down is just defense. I mean, there's there's guys out there that are going to be in the NFL, but you know, you'd like to see more of those like elite defenses. Like Alabama's put together an elite defense, but I think they can also probably be torched as well. Like, I'm starting to wonder. I definitely want to see a little bit more focus on defense in college, but I know it's fun to watch those games. I mean, I I, I did enjoy them. It's, it's a little scary. <laughs> no, I get it. No, and that's the thing too. Like you mentioned with LSU, because out of all the teams talked, I mean, Michigan has the best, had the best defense in the country coming into that game, but they gave up a decent amount of points to Notre Dame and so on and so forth. And Ohio State had the weapons, but Texas A and M, apart from Travion Williams doesn't have that much. And then if I had told you before the year that LSU this year is going to score 70-some points in a game and they're going to lose the game, you'd look at me like I'm an idiot. That right. defense with Devin White and Greedy Williams and everybody, it just – the biggest problem with LSU is always offense, but now it's, the defense is just kind of <clears> – <throat> I know the college spread offenses are, are made to exploit those 
weaknesses and they're made to get people open, you know, kind of like the now Kansas City is incorporating and you see it with the Saints too, you know, that they can expose the best defenses out there. So I know that it's part part scheme, but at the same time, it's it, it was kind of rough to watch at, at times. I really hope the games we have coming up this weekend are a lot better. Next, we got our pride stickers. Dan, Andrew, who got your pride sticker for the week for the game of the week? Who do you think made the biggest difference? I would have to go with Marquise Brown with Oklahoma, like we talked about. I already said his stat line. I think looking back on it, I think that Oklahoma-West Virginia game is going to be looked back on the same way that the Oklahoma-Texas Tech games looked back on for Pat Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. Um, I think it's going to be looked at that way for the receivers with Jennings, Sills, and Marquise Brown. They all had fantastic games. Two of them had over 200 yards and Jennings and Brown. That's what I – I'd give it to the receiving cores in this game, but specifically Marquise Brown with his route running and just breakaway speed and just everything all together. I'm really starting to like him. Right. I thought about actually going with LSU and a- a- Texas A&M's entire offense for my prize stickers <laughs> to last that long is, is just insane. You know, I can't imagine how gassed they were at the end of that. Was it six hours long? I mean, that's crazy. I, I see playing at that level. But I'm going to give mine to Dwayne Haskins. I think it was the biggest game of the year for them and a game where they had to win, and he just balled out. I mean, he went through his numbers already, six touchdowns against Michigan. That's, yeah, nothing else you can say on that one. I'm still no. not as I'm not as sold as him as a pro prospect as some people are. I think he's good. but I can't wait. I just can't yeah. wait. I think he's coming out, too. I, I, I don't think he's going to stay. Oh, well, I'm talking so, about I can't wait to get into discussing it. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down. We got to tease the people. Just the tip, Andrew. Just the tip. Anyway, oh, that's a stick to football <laughs> segment. We can't keep stealing that. It's super, like, uh, yeah, I can't keep up with all the podcasts. Man, there's so many of them. I, I, I could listen to podcasts 12 hours a day and I'd be happy. All right. Next up is our news and notes of the week. We had a pretty decent week on the news front. Ed Oliver sat out again with a knee issue. What do you think? I don't think it was a knee issue. I think it was more of a disciplinary issue, but it could also have been, you know, why risk it at this point? He's, you know, not really making himself any hay or doing anything by playing. So I don't, th- I don't think it was a him thing because I was watching Houston and Memphis on Friday. Daryl Henderson was just torching Houston. And in the second half, first half, Oliver played and I wouldn't say pretty much contained, but he was, way more than he was in the second half. But Oliver was screaming and crying on the sideline, and it's going to be another one of those episodes where people talk about with him. But he acted like he wanted to go back in, but they just weren't letting him in. I don't know if it's Apple White just being like, hey, we're not going to make it to the AAC championship game, and you're probably not going to play the bowl game anyway, And which at this point, if I were him, I wouldn't agree with that or don't and the, the deadly trend it sets but at the end of the day well we can't get into it because we don't have time with the whole ncaa and everybody but right i don't blame them i mean i again that does not scare me i know some people are really starting to think about the knee maybe there is an issue there that's what cbs sports was recorded reporting during the broadcast but who knows they'll figure it out during the draft process it'll come out once the combine medicals come out it'll be all finalized for sure couple key players declared for the draft last week, including defensive end Rashawn Gary and top two wide receivers probably next year, DK Metcalf and Nikhil Harry, both declared last week. I think Rashawn Gary is going to be, yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't think anybody's at all surprised with that one. He should be a, a top 15 pick, although I've mentioned it before. I'm not exactly sold on him, but I think the raw talent's there. And I know DK Metcalf's your top receiver, correct? Yeah, as long as his medicals check out, which I messaged you about this. I said, I'm one of the things I'm hot about is this 2019 receiving class. I, it, there's a lot of good talent, but there's nobody that's just kind of stealing the spotlight. And it's to no fault of their own, really. Um, I mean, but you got question marks with potentially the top four receivers, depending on how you have a ranked. But I mean, DK Metcalf has the neck injury, so you got to wait for medicals. Nikhil Harry. Anytime I ever tweet anything about him, I get attacked about his 40 time and his separation, which off the ball, it's a little bit scary. But, I mean, the man makes plays, which if you throw him the ball, that's all you can hope for. A.J. Brown, it's about his inconsistency against talent. I did an article on that for Dynasty Happy Hour, how he just 
completely disappears against the tougher teams, including the LSU team that got torched. And then Marquise Brown, they talk about size, which isn't as big like you mentioned with the way players and everything is going towards the NFL now. But, I mean, that's four question marks on four receivers. I think if DK comes out of the NFL combine cleared with his medicals, I, I mean, he'll be the wide receiver one, I think. I think in Keel Harry, Odell Beckham has made people infatuated with the crazy catches. That's why people are talking about Hakeem Butler and Harry himself. But I think the better receiver is Metcalf out of the two. Yeah, I'll talk some more about them in the buy and sell section. It, to me, it's a landing spot. It's going to be a yep. lot of the, uh, there's so many good receivers coming out. It's going to be more of a situation, in my opinion. Another big storyline. This one just absolutely breaks my heart, man. Mackenzie Milton. If you yes. have, do not watch the video if you have not seen it. Another gruesome leg injury. And they were, you know, probably not going to make the playoff with the way this weekend shook out unless, you know, next this upcoming weekend really goes crazy. And it's just just crushing for a team that's so much fun to watch and just plays with so much heart. Their very slim hope took a hit. But, I mean, they still have one more game to play. So. Didn't get, I wasn't watching that game as it happened. But then uh, in our group chat we have for Dynasty Happy Hour, everyone was freaking out about it. And then when I looked up what happened, it was very bad. I was reading how it's very similar to the Zach Miller injury where they had to have the surgery to save his leg, which is unfortunate. But hopefully they did. Um, I know his family's keeping that pretty tight, which I totally get. If it were my kid, I wouldn't want it ran off all over the media. I mean, it, this this is the one part where it won't be a football segment. It's just uh, hoping Milton does well. UCF, I think, I mean, they answered in the second half. They were able to come back. The quarterback that came in, I can't think of his name. Daryl Mack. Or Dar- probably pronounced Daryl. He's a guy that has been in Milton's back pocket ever since he got to, got to that school, has been studying him and stuff. And, yeah, it's one of those times where you got to step back a little bit. And just, you know, be thankful. He probably wasn't going to play in the NFL, but he was just a good kid, a great leader, and a fun team to watch. And, and they have a lot to play for still. And they'll oh, be yeah. playing for Milton, I'm sure. So, like you said, they probably won't make the yeah. playoff. But, hey. I mean, if, if all hell breaks loose this weekend and Ohio State loses and Alabama loses, and, you know, it, they could still potentially make the playoffs. So, and if they just absolutely torch them, you know, they, they may still make the playoffs. So I don't know. They'll at least have a chance to go against a Power they'll, 5 school. Yeah, they'll play a New, a New Year's Bowl. New Year's 6, yeah. They did it last year with Auburn, and they were able to take advantage of it. And I'm sure with Milton, they'll want to do that for him again. No real update this week on Herbert that I heard of. And you said what you said about Haskins. It sounds like he's probably leaning toward going out at this point. Did you hear anything new on Justin Herbert. Other than Herbert's kind of just, yeah, I think he's going through the motions. I don't think he, I think it might be having a little bit of a mental warfare in his head with whether he wants to stay or go. I mean, based on his play, he's still got the measurables. He still looks good on tape at times. It's just, I feel like he went from being a hot commodity to where he's just kind of like, oh, hey, look, there's an Oregon game and Justin Herbert's going to be playing. Let's tune in. It wasn't like where before, oh, hey, I'll stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning to watch Justin Herbert go against whoever. Right, I think I think that whole team kind of took a downward turn, and it's affected him most. You know, when, when they're winning, they're definitely a lot more visible out there on the West Coast. Our next section, we're going to do some – just a quick – well, not probably not going to be quick. We'll try to make it not too bad. We have some buys and sells, and we actually were talking about this earlier, and we ran across Mel Kuyper's big board – it was updated today. Um, there's a couple interesting takeaways in there. First, five players on his big board are defensive players, which doesn't surprise me at all this year. Bosa, Quinnen Williams, Devin White, Josh Allen, Greedy Williams. And then even after that, he's got Justin Herbert, <laughs> Devin Bush, Ed Oliver, Rashawn Gary. <laughs> there's another 10, nine of the top 10 are defensive players. And number 11 was kind of a surprise. One that I know you had wanted to talk about, Andrew. Dwayne Haskins at number 11. Quick side note, Dwight. I remember a couple years ago, there was a site that posted his big board without his approval, and he got that site shut down. So if we don't go through this position by position, I just kind of a superstition thing with me. We can just talk about a couple of the players. I just figured Haskins was a big standout, and there's a couple other ones on there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I understand. I mean, he's got some pull in the industry, that's for sure. Nick but, Bosa, um, Nick okay. Bosa at one. Quinton Williams, defensive tackle at two. Devin White at linebacker three. Josh Allen, the linebacker at four. Greedy Williams at five. Justin Herbert at six. Devin Bush, linebacker at seven, I thought was kind of a surprise. He's definitely a playmaking linebacker, but seven was kind of a surprise. And then Ed, Ed Oliver also. I need to talk about this because I've read some consensus that some scouts and things have been having some issues with him, and there's rumors that he could fall down as low as 15 to 18 range. There's a lot of, um, I don't think the maturity issues, even before then, there was a lot of grumbling about his size, actually. A lot of people think he's closer to 270, and they worry that, He's not going to be as much of a force at that weight, which, I mean, if you watch him play, I think he could he could be 250, and he still looks like he's destroying everything around him. But I guess he's not playing the size of lineman that he'll be playing at the pro level. So that one kind of surprised me a little bit. But then not Rashawn Gary at 9, DeAndre Baker at 10, Dwayne Haskins at 11. We can, I mean, if you want to check out it, it's on ESPN. Unfortunately, you have to be an insider to see it, which I happen to be. And... He's got Marquise Brown as being the first wide receiver on his big board at 15. That, that was a very, yep. very big shock to me. The biggest thing um, I took away from it was, and I was watching SportsCenter earlier today, and he was on there talking about it, was he has Dwayne Haskins at 11. He went from being unranked on his big board all the way up to number 11 because of the big showcase he did last weekend against Michigan. And again, like Dwight said, you'll have to read about it on ESPN, but he only cites the Michigan game, which I get if you watch that game, it looks like Haskins is the QB1, no doubt. But he still has problems under pressure. He still has problems with um, evading the tackles and a little bit of just – I mean, his decision-making solid. He only has eight picks. So – Haskins has that potential, but I mean, he was talking about Haskins taking over that spot for Herbert and maybe even being the top pick at the draft, which I couldn't even really get out of my mouth without throwing up a little bit. I I get it. He looks great this week and he's going to be the hot commodity for a little bit. And if they make the playoff and they make a great run, it's all hell's going to break loose with his draft stock. But oh, absolutely. It's. That and then Marquise Brown. I'm, I'm sorry, he's not the number one wide receiver to me, at least. Not even I, close. I don't think. Yeah. No, I mean, I he'll be in he's, my top 10, but I think he's late second, early third round talent. Honestly, yeah, yeah, nothing. But but regardless, it's something to talk about. It's something to break down. And Kuiper, right. like you mentioned, he's one of those staples in the industry. One of those people I remember when I was watching the NFL draft growing up. It was oh, yeah, he's, the hair and everything. He's one of the most visible. And even though I'm not, I would never break him down. I mean, I, I respect him, but he's usually yep. pretty, pretty far off <laughs> to how it actually goes. You know, yes. I, w- I was one name that surprised me was 17 Jalen Ferguson, the defensive end at Louisiana tech. I don't even have him on my board. I need to apparently look a little deeper into him. He, I'll tell you what. Yeah. I was surprised. This is where, and I'll plug everything else again for everybody else. Cause that's just how it works here. Jim Nagy, the senior bowl director on Twitter is a must follow Jalen Ferguson is going to be at the Senior Bowl this year, and Matt Miller and Connor Rogers were raving about him on Wednesday's episode. So I don't watch enough of the defensive football or Louisiana Tech in general to break it down. But I mean, that's, if you want to, that's hear probably a quick, why. Yeah, forty-two and a half stacks, fifteen yes. this year. I, like I've seen his number in the stat column, but I just you know, small if school you, guy, you know, fifth-year senior. If you want to hear a solid breakdown, I suggest the Stick to Football episode from uh, November 28th. So, yeah, it's definitely a name that I'll dive more into in the offseason. Unfortunately, I haven't had the time to break down all the games I'd like to yet. That'll be something we'll do more of in the offseason. It's almost um, like you have a family on a yeah, full-time job. Wait. Something like that. <laughs> then he's got an 18-19-20, the defensive lineman from Clemson, Farrell, Lawrence, and Wilkins. Oh, that was kind of funny. You put them all together. Deontay Thompson, safety from Alabama. 24, he's got Julian Love, the second cornerback. So nothing about Byron Murphy. 25, he's got Daniel Jones from Duke, which is pretty interesting. I mean, he, Daniel Jones, like you've mentioned before, is starting to really turn some heads. So. Yeah. Yeah, so it was interesting. I just wanted to kind of use that. Uh, just a, a kind of a uh, discussion, discussion start off. Yeah. yeah. Jump off. Something we I try to look at as many big boards as I can, even if they're guys I don't know that well. You knew like I was I, hot. You just wanted the entertainment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Kuiper and Matt Miller and, you know, Travis May did his top 100 today and yes. I read those and Travis yep. May is fantastic every yes. single year. I love his. He's, he only focuses on offensive though. Ugh. Anyways, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a good ironically, ironically, um, a, a big buy sell for me at this point is I'm pivoting and I'm selling all my 19 picks. And if I have any of those wide receivers, I'm selling them. I'm getting a lukewarm feeling about that class all of a sudden. I know there's a ton of talent there, but it's almost like you're, it's a roulette wheel. Like, like there's so many of them and you go down through, like I was going through Travis's top 100 and there's guys in the fifties and sixties, like Colin Johnson and, and Tyler Johnson. And I, I just, I just don't have a great strong feeling about him anymore. Yeah, I usually, whenever I do my rankings, I'll write down, I'll go through my player list, and I'll be like, okay, I think this guy could be a top 10 in his position. So I write him down. I wrote down 18 receivers for potential top 10, and it's hard to pick through them just because you said there's nobody that's really separating themselves from the pack, which is also the scary thing because if you're going to invest in someone as a Debbie prospect, you want quicker return out of them. I'm seeing that people are have that enamor with the class, like the Harrys and the Metcalfs and AJ Brown, and they're willing to pay up for them. And I'm just, I think their value is worth more than what I, I feel like they're going to be. I mean, I hope that there'll be several number one receivers come out of this class, but at the same time, I'm I'm growing skeptical that there's going to be, you know, a Michael Thomas or a, you know, Julio Jones or anything. I, I don't know. I'm starting to get a little lukewarm on the whole class, so I'm trying to sell them, actually. So did you have any buy-sells at this point that have been kind of – and I, I'm still buying 2020 picks. I'm, I'm snapping up as many as I can. So. Oh, I got four yeah. 2021sts and three 2022nds next year. And Yeah, if I um, saw that in the – Listen in the Dynasty Happy Hour League. I probably would have oh, come yeah. after him. My team's I, hot garbage, but hey, I'm loaded. <laughs> I saw you mention that. I'm like, oh my god, why is he? Got, I need to get him. But it, our trade deadline passed, which I acquired ironically 2019 picks yesterday for my buys. Our league we we just mentioned is a tight end premium league, so I'm I'm acquiring 2019 picks in hopes of trading for a package to potentially get Noah Fant. Just because I think wherever he goes, he's going to be a playmaker from day one. Usually tight ends take a little bit of time to develop, but I could see him taking the Evan Ingram, David and Joku route and contributing right away from day one. So that's oh, who absolutely. I'm. I bought picks in hopes of getting Noah Fant later. So for everyone on Dynasty Happy Hour listening to this. Yeah, I should mention what I said with a caveat that I'm selling, but I'm selling like the the first batch of picks, you know, and if I have any of those Debbie guys like Nikhil Harry and DK Metcalf, I'm selling them for later picks because I feel like the later, the second round, you're going to find some crazy steaming yes. values next year. Like there's going to be wide receivers that are going to start probably into the third round, tight ends that are going to start until the third round, maybe even fourth. I mean, it's just, I, I'm really excited about the depth, but I'm not excited about the eliteness of it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If you need receivers and tight ends, oh, this yeah. is next year's quarterbacks and running backs so mm -hmm. that's why i loaded up and because that's what i need is running backs and quarterbacks honestly who doesn't need a tight end andrew anyways <laughs> so anyways well that was just a quick little buy sell well i want to try to do some more of those as the as the off season progresses and we'll focus on things like that and the big thing next weekend or this upcoming weekend starting tomorrow night it's time for the championship games. And obviously the big one is Georgia and Alabama. So, Andrew, what do you think Georgia needs to do offensively to beat Alabama's defense? Who needs to step up in that game? Um, It's going to be relying on that run game. I saw a stat today. It was Kirby Smart and losses averages 97 yards a game. And Kirby Smart and wins at Georgia averages 260-some uh, rushing yards a game. There needs to be a heavy dosage of Swift and Holyfield, and they just need to keep going with their mixing fields a little bit to do those wildcat type of plays. Insert the air quotes there. Fields is in the game nine times out of ten. He's going to be running. He's not going to be passing. So time of possession and running that ball is going to be the biggest thing to beat Alabama. I know the spread is 13.5 points as of today, last I checked. 
I don't know what Georgia's going to do because I think this defensive line isn't as good as it was last year, but Quinn and Williams is a big part of it. So transition to you then. I'm sure Quinn and Williams is going to be a difference maker for you on this defensive side. Great. You're right. Absolutely. Um, the time of possession is going to be – you need to keep that ball out of Alabama's hands as much as you possibly can. I think the Georgia secondary, though, is is one of the best that, that Alabama has seen. Uh, DeAndre Baker is a first-round talent. They've got a couple safeties and Richard LeCount and LeCount. One, one safety. Uh, uh. Anyways, and J.R. Reed, they're not far. He's not far behind. Uh, LeCount leads the team in tackles. They're both amazing safeties. They have a lot of range. They kind of both rotate between free safety, strong safety, nickel. They kind of go all over there. And Monty Rice is starting to step up as the linebacker there in place of Rokon Smith. It's definitely a very talented defense, and it's not going to be as easy for Alabama. I don't see the 13 and a half spread. I never know, but. Then Alabama obviously has Quinnen. Quinnen Williams needs to disrupt the line and and make those holes as hard to read as possible for that Georgia running back duo. And Mac William and Dylan Moses are a great, pretty great linebacker combination. You know, Alabama always has talents everywhere, and they are going to be the key to containing that game. And then Deontay Thompson is their stud safety there in Alabama. He's going to you will be roaming the back there in case Jake Fromm does a little play action, throw it downfield. And I, I really like the way these teams match up, and it's going to be a fun game. It's one that I really hope I can sit and watch. I mean, I'm hoping that things shake out between a birthday party and Christmas parade and everything that I can try to sit down and watch this game as it happens. But, yeah, just exciting. I, this is the one you really wanted it to happen. You throw out all those names. And it's just a portion of it because I saw it today. I, I apologize. If I'm quoting everybody else's Twitter stuff, I don't have the inside sources. I'm just some poor guy that works retail in middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. We all rely on everybody else just as much as you do. But at the same time, Daniel Jeremiah said he tweeted a, a pro scout that he had. And he asked who should he watch on the defensive side of the ball in this game. And he sent him a list of 17 names. Yeah. So, I mean, you just took – the icing off that cake. There's still so many layers to it. There's so many secondary players that yeah. are, just make them good. And it's what a, what a fun game. This is not going to be a 74-72 game. I, I guarantee that. No. Then another game, I mean, <laughs> that wasn't enough. Texas versus Oklahoma, the second version, part two. They have only met twice in a season like once before, and it was like in 1907 or something like that. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Think. That much, and so Texas is, wants to be that team that beats Oklahoma twice in a year, the first time since 1907. On the other side, Oklahoma gets a chance to avenge its only loss of the season. How do you see this playing out offensively? Who's who's the spotlight on the brightest in this game? It's going to be on Kyler Murray again. Their last game was high scoring, 45-48, last minute field goal for Texas being the difference. I expect Sam Ellinger, Colin Johnson, Little Jordan Humphrey. Kyler Murray, Marquise Brown, all of them to just – I think it's going to be another one of those 48-45, 51-45. A lot of fun to watch. I really like the first game. The Red River Rivalry is one of my favorite games every year. In fact, we get it twice. It's become the Haley's Comet of college football, it seems. And it is another game that doesn't have a lot of superstars on defense. They both have some pretty key players. Oklahoma has a couple linebackers. Kenneth Murray and Curtis Bolton each have over 120 tackles, four sacks apiece. They are just guys that cover a lot of ground and make a lot of tackles. Um, Texas has a lot of talent, but most of their elite talent at defense is still a little bit away. Like Cade Stearns is a defensive back. He's just a freshman. He's he's going to be a fun one in a couple years. But they have a couple veteran leaders at linebacker, or at linebacker with Gary Johnson, and then their defensive lineman Charles. Omen, Omenahu, I would guess. He has eight and a half sacks, 14 and a half for loss. So they've definitely got some pieces that can make a difference. I think this game is going to come down to turnovers and, you know, sacks and things like that. Like who makes those plays that make the difference? Because like you said, it's another game that's not going to have much defense. There's going to be a lot of offense. So like, it's going to come down to turnovers. You know, if one team turns the ball over a couple times, the other team is going to win. I mean, that's just as simple as it is, I think. So, or the last one that has the ball. <laughs> yeah, and the last 
big game is obviously Northwestern, who, again, is kind of a surprise team in the Big Ten Championship against Ohio State. Is there anyone on Northwestern who has a chance of slowing down and pressuring Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, Dwayne? I hope they can. I mean, it's one of those – Northwestern's been in every game they've played. I mean, they, they've played really tight against Michigan, Notre Dame. They beat Wisconsin and Iowa. Like, they're not like a pushover team, but they definitely don't have that superstar power that, you know, an elite team typically would have. Um, they have a linebacker, Blake Gallagher, leads this feisty defense. He just has that hard-nosed playing style that he's got 112 tackles. You know, he's just – he just really leads that team and the way they play. They've got, you know, good talent but not, like, great talent. And they're, It's going to be a fun game. I think – I hope they can keep with them. I mean, Ohio State has struggled with some inferior opponents this year. You know, they might have a little bit of a letdown after that high of beating Michigan and knowing that they're pretty much – we haven't really talked much about the playoff, but um, they're pretty much locked in the playoff, I think, as long as Alabama wins. I think yeah. Ohio State would be four. Yeah, so, I think. Yeah, because just it's hard to shut out a big team, Big Ten team that wins a title. I mean, it really is. I think unless Georgia wins and Oklahoma, it, it's. I think Ohio State, and looking at the strength of schedule, I think Ohio State deserves it over Oklahoma if all teams went out. Probably, um, yeah. But on the flip side, you know, I don't. No, Northwestern can stop Ohio State. How do you see it playing out offensively? I see it the same way. I think Dwayne Haskins is just going to kind of have his way. I think last week was his coming out party. I think he's hit his groove. It's going to be one of those Ohio State teams that's going to come rolling into the playoff potentially and just kind of take over sort of things, similar to the way Cardell Jones did a couple of years back. Yeah, I read a really long article. I can't remember where or when about the similarities between this team and that team are – Freakish. That's enough of the big games. We gotta. We're getting kind of long on time here. Is there any players you're watching extra close this weekend, Andrew? Yeah, I'll keep two. There's three. Two of the three I've talked about on here before. Tomorrow night is the MAC championship. It's actually the one I'm most excited for. I will say, just because um, Tyree Jackson, quarterback for Buffalo, wide receiver Anthony Johnson, I've talked about before on the show and on Dynasty Happy Hour articles. I really like them. I don't get to watch them very often as much as I like, but I think both of them being on ESPN2 tomorrow is going to be fun. And then this is for you. I did a defensive player, Sutton Smith, on Northern Illinois, has 27 sacks last two years. Um, I want to see how he does. He's just one of those. He won't get talked about a lot as far as a top prospect, but he'll be picked because he is such a high-motor guy and has such a good work ethic through everything I've read about him. So. He'll be one to watch to see if he can pressure Tyree Jackson of Buffalo. Yeah, a couple that I'm watching. There's kind of a dark horse, Clayton Thorson, the quarterback for Northwestern. He's a very dangerous quarterback. He doesn't put up great numbers. He was definitely, before the season, he was thought of to be one of those dark horse quarterbacks that could come into the – he's one of those quarterbacks that, you know, he's just he's dangerous on the ground. He is a, he's a pretty decent quarterback, and he's – gonna be trying to win that game so he's one i'm, I'm kind of curious to watch see if he can even keep him in the game quarterback for ucf daryl mack it's just it means so much to the program and how far they've come the longest winning streak of the nation you know they win this bowl game and they're playing on new year's eve and it's just i'm curious to see how that team rides that high of emotion then one defensive player i'm looking at chase hansen linebacker for utah He's another – I talk about linebackers a lot. I love linebackers. Another guy that's going to be really good. I think he'll probably be in the NFL. He's got great range and instincts. Um, he's got 22 sack, twenty-two tackles for a loss this year, including a couple interceptions. And he's going to be playing – that Washington-Utah game I think is going to be better than a lot of people give him credit for. Would have liked to have seen Zach Moss in that game, the running back for Utah, but he's out for the rest of the season. So I just want to watch some football, like some good football. Then we got a nice long break before the bowl game starts. So. Before the Tostitos, Chick Fil A, Gingerbread Bowl, or whatever the heck, and I don't know, like so many different bowls now. So, <laughs> yeah, so. I talked about one of the bowls yesterday, the Cherubundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. Yes, that's a real bowl. So yes, Mama, that's what I'm playing in. That's not a real bowl, son. <laughs> but, You're not uh, playing in the Peach Bowl. So. We're going to get down to our final word. Do you, what is your upset of the week? I know there's not a lot of games to pick from. But. I was going to, before the show, I had written down that Memphis was going to beat UCF, and I feel like that was kind of a cop-out. So I'm not going to take it. 
because why not? Because I'm never right anyway. I am from, I'm about an hour and a half north of Pittsburgh. I, I want to see chaos. I, I don't necessarily think this could happen, but I think this would be the most fun. I think uh, Andre Olison and Pitt are going to make everyone question that Clemson defensive line, and I think Pitt can roll out the upset down in Charlotte. And then nice. I think if Clemson loses, I think absolute hell is going to ensue. Especially if you couple it with my upset. <laughs> going to say it right here. I fully believe that Georgia is going to beat Alabama. Like, I just – I think they're going to control the clock. I think they're going to run on them. And their defense is going to be able to slow their offense down enough for their – is going to be able to slow down Alabama enough to keep Georgia in the game. And as long as they don't make any mistakes, like huge turnovers, pick sixes, things like that, I do believe that Georgia is going to beat Alabama. And then I'm going to sit back and watch as everything goes. Just absolute crazy, man. <laughs> so before right come Saturday night. <laughs> Notre Dame's going to be one. <laughs> Georgia oh, will be two. Think Oklahoma, Ohio State. Yes, let's do it. No SEC AC teams in the playoffs. Hey, now. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. It's like they have two every year, so they can go a year without one. Come on now. Well, I, I got to say, I this do. was a very meaty episode. <laughs> yes, tell the people where they can find more of your meat, Andrew. I'm tired. <laughs> you can find me over at Dynasty Happy Hour, um, where I will have my positional rankings hopefully coming out next week. So you can tear me apart about that, and we could maybe talk about that next week after the playoff set and everything. You can find me on Twitter at DHH underscore Mandrew, and then tell them where they can find your meat, Dwight. They <laughs> <laughs> can find my meat at Fantasy Authority, where I've – Typically write redraft, and I'm pretty much done for the season there. And then I'm going to switch over to more Dynasty Happy Hour now. I'm working on an article about defensive players to kind of keep your eye out for in the offseason, guys that could be taking over positions as people leave teams and stuff. So guys that maybe you can sneak off the waiver wire before everything gets closed down at the end of the playoffs. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that article. It's one of my favorite ones to write every year. And other than that, man, just looking forward to some great football this weekend. Hopefully some upsets and shake some things up a little bit. Otherwise, we'll be talking to you next week with a boring Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State Final Four. So pretty much looks like where it's going. So everybody have a good weekend. Don't forget about the Mountain West, the Mac that can flex. Sunbelt is next, Ivy League fresh, literally though. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of players to test. D. I'm serious, they will talk about the most obscure players on this planet. Potentially another planet. Like, dude's got a 4-3-40 from Mars, like, I don't know, I, it's too much, I'm done. I'm gone this time. Like, don't bring it back in, enjoy your podcast.